oh, I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them that I'm going to be so much better. I did press, you know, I did news articles. I was on nine, nine news, which is a new station here talking about eating disorder recovery and how well I was doing. And then I would just plummet and then I would get back into recovery and then I would plummet. And it was this roller coaster of just like this. I'm going to show them how worthy I am to me telling myself in my head um, that I'm not worthy at all. Hi, friends, and welcome to All Things Relatable, a place where stories are shared. It's hard to put a value on a story because the lasting effects it can have are often priceless. An individual's story has the potential to impact our lives in tremendous ways. My hope for you in joining me today is that this episode resonates with you and that you leave enlightened, ignited, and inspired because it only takes one moment to spark a change and leave an everlasting effect. My next guest, Lindsay, is a certified athletic trainer, teacher, and fitness instructor who calls Aurora, Colorado home. She was a college basketball player with a competitive edge. When she decided to quit playing basketball, she jumped on the exercise bandwagon. And when she started to receive attention for how she looked, she put together a false sense of reality. If I look good, I won't be abandoned. I'm sure you can already see where this is going. Lindsay ended up battling bulimia, anorexia, and orthorexia. She spent time in the hospital on three separate occasions, and her marriage ended. Lindsay eventually started to date again, and get this, she ended up breaking up with her now husband because he was too nice to her. Thankfully, a friend called her out on this, which ended up setting into motion a journey of healing. Lindsay is here to share her incredible story, how she overcame her eating disorders, and how she stayed in recovery for such a long time. Lindsay believes that she was put on earth for a purpose, and that is to help her students and athletes become the best version of themselves. Thank you for being here, Lindsay. I'm so happy that you're willing to share your story because I know it's going to be such a gift and a ray of hope for anyone who is struggling. Thank you. Yes, I'm excited to be here. Okay, so can you take me back? When did you first know that you had an eating disorder? And was there anything specific that triggered it for you? Um, yeah. So in college, um, like you said, I played basketball and, um, kind of between my junior and senior year, I decided, um, to not pursue playing basketball anymore. And with that kind of came this loss of identity of being a collegiate basketball player. Right. And so I basically figured that if I wasn't playing basketball anymore, I'd start working out. And, um, I remember, actually signing up for my very first, um, half marathon that I was going to run. And so I just started running and running and my body was changing. And, um, even though I was, um, getting married soon after I graduated, uh, from, from, uh, college, I felt so much attention for my body and, um, kind of how that made me feel was, you know, I, it was exciting. It was nice to have a lot of attention because it's not something I'd had in the past. Um, I was kind of an overweight kid and, um, very tomboyish. And so I didn't get a lot of attention from men and my, um, my parents actually got divorced also when I was in high school. And so I never wanted to be abandoned for the way that I looked. And I felt like my, my worth was based on how I looked and, and then I was loved because of how I looked. Um, and so that's kind of when it started. 
and it got worse and worse and worse from there. Okay. So you, I had never heard of the word orthorexia Mm -hmm. before we had chatted. So did, did it all start kind of with that, with signing up for this half marathon and exercising and then just kind of, can you kind of explain what exactly that is? Yeah. So, um, orthorexia is, um, compensating through exercise for the food that you've eaten. Um, even if it is a very, very low amount of food. So, um, I remember, you know, when I was a child, I actually used to go to the gym with my father all the time. And, um, it was, they're like the best memories of, of my childhood, right? Like we used to go to the gym and then we'd go make bagel sandwiches together afterwards. And my dad is kind of, um, you know, he's my biggest role model. And so I thought that exercise was going to help, um, with, him loving me more. So if I, you know, was exercising, then he would love me more. And it just got to a point where it was too much and the exercise turned into, okay, my body's changing from the exercise. So I'm going to start eating less because then my body will change even more. And then I'm going to stop, you know, eating and anorexia can actually be, um, it's not the lack of eating anything. Um, I've heard some definitions, like it's a lack of eating, uh, more than 500 calories a day. Um, but really what your body needs to function on your, your organs need need on a daily basis to function. If you're not getting those met, um, it can be considered anorexia. So, um, it kind of just progressively got worse from there, but it, it was, it was that first, um, half marathon that I signed up for that kind of triggered this, um, need for more working out and less eating and more working out in this cycle. Uh, so how did your body react to that? Um, so at first my my body actually changed a lot into what was the ideal body, um, you know, in the two thousands of being super, super skinny. And I was very, very skinny. I remember, um, I'm five, nine. So fitting into a size four pair of pants when I was usually a, a different size is, is, um, pretty skinny for myself. And, um, so my body was changing physically, but then on the inside, Um, I was starting to lose my hair. Um, my nails were really brittle. And I think when it got the worst was my senior year in college. Um, I got up to go make a cup of tea and I was putting it in the microwave. Um, and I, I don't remember anything after that. I actually live, I was living by myself. Um, my apartment had stained concrete floors and I basically blacked out. I, um, hit my head on the stove. I then hit my head on the concrete floor and, um, I woke up to water and a broken mug all over the floor. So, um, I had tons of, of bouts of, um, passing out. I had, uh, bouts of my heart racing and then slowing down to very, very low heart rate. I, I think my resting heart rate was, I I mean, my resting heart rate's really low anyways, because I'm an athlete, but it was in the twenties. I remember one of my, when I was in one of my treatment centers, um, having to get hooked up to EKGs very frequently because 
people with eating disorders and their heart rate getting that low, they can have actually cardiac arrest and heart attacks. So I remember that. Um, so the physical, the physical things that happened to my body because of the eating disorder, um, there was just so many of them, but also just the mental aspect of it. I mean, just tearing, tearing me to pieces. Mm-hmm. So were you able to keep this like hidden from everybody or did people notice what was going um, on? So actually one of my, um, I was an athletic trainer in college too. And so when I stopped playing, I was still around my teammates all the time because I was actually working in an athletic training room. So, um, one of my former teammates who is still one of my best friends to this day, um, she came into the bathroom when I was, um, having eating disordered behaviors. And she stood outside the stall. And then when I came out, she goes, I know what you're doing and I'm calling your mother immediately. And like, right. Like I'm a junior in, in college, right? Like I'm a grown woman. What I thought I'm a grown woman. You don't need to call my mom. Um, really what's a grown woman. I was like 20 years old. Come on now. And she called my mom and she was like, Lindsay is sick. And, and she needs help. Very ironic that, um, it was actually eating disorder awareness week at our college when, um, my, my friend did this. So people were starting to notice. I know that my basketball team, um, really noticed behaviors of, you know, after I was eating, going to the restroom and things like that. But, um, the one person who didn't notice that probably should have was, was my ex-husband. Um, we were, together then and, and engaged. And, um, he didn't notice, or he turned away from noticing, um, because he obviously liked how I was looking at that point. Right. Wow. So how did this show up in your relationship with him? Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of my eating disorder, like you had said before, centers around abandonment issues and just that feeling of if I don't look X, Y, and Z, I am not loved. And if I'm not loved, then my parents won't love me. My soon-to-be husband won't love me. My friends won't love me. And so it showed up in more of um, a way of I can't love myself. And so it was really hard for people to love me because I just, I didn't accept the love. I didn't feel like I was worthy of the love. And so I really pushed all of that love away. And, you know, it wasn't until, um, later on where I really started to know, know that the love comes from me first and then I can start being loved elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So you had mentioned that you were in the hospital and mm -hmm. that they were hooking you up to different machines to make sure your heart was, you weren't going to go to cardiac arrest and you, you had a couple of stays in the hospital. So, um, were you with your husband when this was happening? And is, is that kind of like where he was filled in or figured out what was going on? Um, so I kind of started in what's called outpatient therapy. And so that's when he knew what was going on and things like that. Um, and outpatient therapy is, um, you know, like I said, I thought I was a grown woman. Really, my family was still very involved. My sisters, my mom, my dad. And so in outpatient therapy, people that are in your life, they come with you, right? And so my, um, I did have like 
marriage counseling, they do provide that within your outpatient treatment. And so I was doing counseling with, um, with my ex-husband, but I was also doing counseling with my parents and, um, my sisters kind of weren't really a part of the picture then, um, when I was in the outpatient treatment. And so they didn't really come, but my, my ex-husband really found out what was happening to my body and why I was going through this, which is the biggest piece, right? Like why mentally am I doing this? Um, when I, when we were going through that counseling together. Right. Okay. I want to back up just a second here. How long were you, um, battling these eating disorders before you ended up with the outpatient, like getting help? Um, I would say about two years. It wasn't until um, after I was married. So this started in my junior year of college. Um, and it wasn't after until after I graduated from college, which was another year. And then even another year after that, um, where I graduated, got married, and then things kind of started hitting the fan. So in, in your marriage, did you feel uh, like beautiful? Did you feel loved? Did you, because you had this body and you were getting notice for your looks, did you feel that from your husband then? Um, no, because of a lot of infidelity. So I remember before we even got married, um, having people tell me that, you know, he was cheating on me and things like that. And so it, it's hard to feel loved when that's happening, but I just kept trying so hard and that trying so hard manifested through me having an eating disorder. You know, I was so concerned about being abandoned. I was so, um, you know, like I didn't want to break off our engagement and I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to be looked at as like, oh, you were engaged when you were 20 years old and you didn't even get married and you you failed at that. And now you have an eating disorder and you're failing at that. And so I just did not want to fail at all. So when did the, the marriage finally end? When did the pieces start to fall apart? So when I was um, actually hospitalized. Um, I was in a treatment center that I, um, my ex-husband was a pilot too. And so I was in a treatment center where it's called partial hospitalization and I stay all day. And then, um, I have to go home to somebody who's going to watch over me all night. And because my ex-husband was a pilot, he was rarely home. And so I had to go stay with my dad. And so I'd go to my dad's and then I'd go back. And, um, during that, those day long processes, you could have visitors come in. Right. And so my best friend at the time and my ex-husband, um, or my husband at the time would actually come see me together. And I didn't think anything of it. Right. I was just like, well, they're coming to see me. This is great. It's like family time. Um, little did I know at that point that they were actually having an affair. And so them coming to see me, um, I remember getting out of the hospital, um, and I was on my way to therapy one day and my ex-best friend's sister called me and she said, um, Lindsay, I, um, just found out that your friend is having an affair and I was like, oh my gosh, does she need any help? Like, what can I do for her? Like, what does she need? And she goes, no, it's with your husband. Ugh. And I was, 
literally driving to my hospital, right? I was, I was driving to go get treatment. I was driving to therapy at that point. Um, I couldn't drive. I pulled over on the side of the road. I was shaking. My older sister had to come pick me up and take me. Um, I mean, it was, it, it was life shattering. Um, mainly because all of the work that I was doing was about this abandonment feeling and all of the couples therapy that we were doing was him saying, I will never abandon you while all this is happening. So it was, I mean, it was now that I look back on it, it was such a crazy time, but at the same time, I don't remember everything because I was so sick. I was, you know, my brain wasn't functioning properly all the time. Um, so it's just crazy. (laughs) I can't even believe that. That makes me sick hearing that when you are at one of your darkest times in the hospital in recovery, trying to, uh, move forward and heal and all the things. And then then together, Yes. And then to find out that's happening, that is just, yeah. Like you said, heart shattering. Yeah. And then after that, it was, it was kind of up and down because I had this sense of like, oh, I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them that I'm going to be so much better. I did press, you know, I did news articles. I was on nine, nine news, which is a news station here talking about eating disorder recovery and how well I was doing. And then I would just plummet. And then I would get back into recovery and then I would plummet. And it was this roller coaster of just like this. I'm going to show them how worthy I am to me telling myself in my head um, that I'm not worthy at all. I mean, I, I think that a lot of people who talk to people who have eating disorders, who are in recovery from de- eating disorders or in an eating disorder, um, they'll say that they have another person in their head and it sounds like really, really crazy, but I have someone in my head. Um, I actually call him Ed for eating disorder, ED. Um, but Ed in my head tells me all the time how horrible I am and how, and so he just kept telling me, right. And then I'd be like, I don't know if you could cuss on this podcast, but (laughs) and, um, then, you know, get better and rise above. And then I, that voice would come back and I mean, it was exhausting. So, So, yeah. Um, Okay. I have a couple questions. So, um, first Ed, is he still around and how do you get him to shut up if he is like, do you ever get rid of that or is it kind of in the background noise? It's, it's in the background noise for sure. I think, um, there are always things that I will come across in life, right. That are going to make me as a person feel like I'm unworthy of whatever is happening. Now I have so many skills now and I surround myself with people who, um, bring me to higher vibes and, and, um, bring me to better places. And I know what can put me in a better place. Now I'm not saying that every day I wake up and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like my body is amazing and I'm amazing and everything's amazing because for God's sakes, I'm a woman. And like, you know, I think we all kind of battle that sometimes where we wake up and we're like, God dang it. What happened to my stomach overnight? Or something? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so there are still these, these voices in my head, but, um, I know my whys in life and I have, um, these four values in my life that, um, bring me back to why I'm in recovery, 
um, why I'm going to stay in recovery and why I'm always going to level up. And that usually takes care of itself. Um, Okay. Can you tell us those four whys? Yeah. Okay. So, um, my, my number one why is, um, my children. Okay. So I have two little girls. Um, we talked about like knowing my purpose in life, right? Okay. So I'm this woman who's gone through like something that a lot of women battle with and God like thought he was funny. God thinks I'm funny. I think I'm funny. So he definitely thought he was funny in this. And he said, you know what? I'm going to, um, I'm going to, uh, you have all sisters and I'm going to give you two little girls and you're going to raise them. And then by the way, you're going to work at an all girls high school. And so I was like, Oh, okay. So like, I'm going to have to like figure this shit out so that I can be the best person for all of these girls. Okay. So, um, that's kind of like my biggest number one why, but I have these four, um, four values that I, I live by. And, um, the number, my first one is faith. And I actually have, um, I had somebody ask me to not ask me, but gave me this skill of writing down my values and my value statements with them. So I'm just going to read them for you if that's cool with you. Yes. Um, Okay. So my first one is faith and it says, um, my life is driven by faith in God, that everything that happens for me is a direct result of God's love and desires for me. Okay. So that's number one. Um, The second one is love. I live my life Oh, sorry. I live my life in a way that shows love to myself and others through my words and actions. Okay. So loving myself, number one, most important, right? I didn't realize that until my now husband was like, I'm going to need you to love yourself before I can love you, but I want to marry you. And we are going to make a beautiful life together. And I was like, a beautiful life together. That sounds amazing. Okay. Let me go love myself. Not that easy, but you get the drift. Okay. (laughs) The next one is, um, personal development is one of my values. Um, working on myself always allows me to evolve into the best version of myself, which is mother, friend, athletic trainer, peer, wife, and daughter. Last one health. And I think that this one really comes from, um, you know, me wanting to stay out of, um, eating disorder behaviors and things like that. But health, I strive to be a healthy woman through balance of self-care, proper diet, nutrition, um, and positive thought. My mental, physical, and spiritual health are all important to me. Wow. I love those. Thank yeah. You. Such amazing values to live by. Do you uh, frequently like tap into those, look at them, read them? Yeah. So I have like this little planner that I love so much and um, they stay in the front pocket of my planner and kind of whenever I'm having like a bad day, I just pull them out. Um, the other thing, you know, uh, you know this, but like one thing that we kind of all work on is how do you stay in your highest vibe? And um, that's something that we discussed yesterday too, but how do you stay in your highest vibe? Well, when I read these, like, I don't know if you can tell, but I get super passionate about it. And I love telling people these values because sometimes I don't know. I think that people have values I don't know if they've written out their value statements as to why they actually value those things. And for me, when I read that, I'm just like, ah, like, (laughs) let's go do it. Let's, let's go. So I'm actually really, um, 
uh, grateful that you asked me to read those because I was like in a place, you know, sometimes you get in this place and you're like, Ugh. um, and so now this, this vibe around me just feels good all of a sudden again. So yeah. thank you. <laughs> I love it. I think that's a powerful tool that yeah, anybody can use to raise their vibration, tell Ed to shut up, to, um, yeah, really get centered. And when you know your values and you've written them down, then when you're in a bad spot, then it's, yeah, can pull you back to your why and your purpose and get you, yeah, get you back to centered. So I love that. I want to go, you had mentioned, um, love and your now husband who you told, um, who, who you broke up with because he was too nice to you, yeah, told yeah, yeah. you that he wanted to marry you, but you needed to, to go figure out how to love on yourself because he couldn't love you first. So can you talk about wh- what was the journey like through that? Yeah. So, um, my husband and I met at my school that I work at through uh, one of my basketball players, who is his cousin. Um, I claim her as my cousin now because I mean, we're family now. So I'm always like my cousin, people are like, that's your cousin. I'm like, well, I mean, kind of, <laughs> um, so they, she introduced us and she's like, you need to meet my cousin. He's so great. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're my student athlete. I'm not like hanging out with your cousin. That's just weird. So, um, Anyways, he, um, came to some basketball games. We met and we started dating and all of a sudden I just like, uh, first of all, his, his parents are married and have been married for so long. That is foreign to me, right? My parents got divorced. My grandparents got divorced. I got divorced. So I'm like, you have like a family that loves each other and is still married. It's very weird. Um, I met his family. They were like so great, so nice, so welcoming. And then he, like, I was coaching a basketball game. He brings me flowers. I'm like, what? He would like call me and ask me how my day was going. Who does that? Like, this is what I'm thinking in my head. Like, why is this person so nice to me? Like, he actually compliments me on things other than my body, other than the way my, the way I look, like he complimented me on, you know, how I'm really great with the kids at my school. He would compliment me on my coaching, just like really random things. And so I was, I called him one night and I was like, you know, I have really enjoyed getting to know you, but you're just like, you're, you're too nice. And I just don't know if I'm ready for that. (laughs) And he was literally like, all right, then see ya. And wasn't like mean or anything. Wasn't nasty to me after breaking up with him. He was just like, okay, like whatever. Okay. So then I'm like going to church with my friends and I'm like, they're like, how's, you know, my husband's name's junior How's junior. And I'm like, oh, I, I broke up with him. Why'd you break up with him? Oh, he was just like way too nice to me. My friend literally 180s to the back of the car. She's in the front. I'm in the back. Her whips around. You broke up with someone because they were too nice to you? And I was like, uh, yeah. And she's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I'm like, yeah. Like coming out of my mouth, that sounds ridiculous. So then I, I call Junior and I'm like, hey, you know, I would really 
like to hang out? And he's like, no, you do you, I'll do me, bye. And I was like, oh, he's mean. <laughs> so then what do I do? Oh, I'm going to have him. He's mean. I'm going to have him. He's not mean at all, but he was just like, you know, he was hurt. And, um, I was very consistent, right? I think maybe I've learned my consistency. Um, like how I'm so consistent now is because I had to be very consistent. And I was like, I still hung out with his cousin and they still made me dinners. So I'd go over there and my cousin would call like, Hey, you want to come over for dinner? He'd be like, Lindsay's over there. Isn't she? No. So we'd like try to trap him. And then no joke. Um, like our cousin was on this big retreat at my, my Catholic high school that I work at. And it's like this huge retreat. And it's, and she's like, I prayed every day for you guys to get back together and no shit. We go to, um, like her, like when she came back from the retreat, we go and surprise her and we are dating again. And so we got back together and, um, it was really hard for him because I was still in a place where I would really talk negatively about myself. And I really felt undeserving of how kind he was to me and how nice. And that's when he said to me, you have to love yourself before I can love you. And, um, my wedding vows actually had this statement in it. It said, my wedding vows stated, um, you know, you, you've not only saved my life once you've saved my life twice. And, um, we were in a bad car accident and he like swerved. And so the car didn't hit me directly or else I probably would have been dead. So that was the, you know, the second time he actually saved my life. But the first time was when he said that to me and my mom was in the front row and she knew what I was talking about. So she like is crying already. And she was like, <gasps> and like starts gasping. I'm like, I seriously turned to her in my wedding. Right. I'm saying my vows. And I was like, mom, stop. And I'm crying and everyone's crying, but it's because everybody that was at that wedding knew, like I struggled so bad. And, and junior really came into my life and was like, you know what? Like I am always going to be here for you and I'm always going to love you, but you have, you have to start loving yourself because you are so, so loved. I just didn't get that. Right. And now I understand that I will never be abandoned by myself because of this self-love that I have. And if I have this self-love, I don't have to ever worry about being abandoned again. Mm -hmm. I'm here. Oh, I just love that. So do you think that he, like him saying that was the turning point for you in your life? Yes, absolutely. I, what that said to me when he said that was I, love you for who you are unconditionally. And I'm always going to love you. I want you to know how to do that for yourself because you have, everybody has the potential, right? To be unconditionally loved. You just have to find where that comes from. And if it comes from yourself, like you are so going to be unconditionally loved because it's coming from yourself. Now, are there days where like I unconditionally love my children, but there are some days that I'm like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> is this parenting thing for me? And so now I, I know what unconditional love is and I am so much better at doing that for myself. This unconditional love piece. Right. So for anybody listening, um, what are some of the things that you did on this journey to 
find that love for yourself because yeah, like you said, it comes from within. And if you don't truly love yourself, like to a soul level, it doesn't matter. Um, like things will come up and come out at different points in your life. If you don't take that time to really love you. So what did you do? Okay. So what did I do to start loving myself unconditionally? So there's a lot of things. And I would say that not everything is perfect yet. And, um, I think the very first thing that I did was I started, um, having more faith, right. I, um, started reading a lot of devotionals and I, I love affirmations, but I loved seeing my students write affirmations. Okay. So I didn't write affirmations for myself. I had them write them and I'm like, Oh my gosh, these girls, they got it all figured out. It's so great. And then I'm like, why can't I do this? Did it feel weird at first? Absolutely. But I really did start when I started writing things down that I truly felt were awesome about myself. I was like, dang, like there are things that I really like about myself. Um, so that would be one of them is like these affirmations. Um, I touched on the faith piece right before that, but knowing that God made me to be this exact person, um, really, really has helped with my self-worth and my self-love. And I am still trying to find that purpose every day. Right. And so it's something that I'm still working on, but I truly know, like I said that God was funny when he gave me all of these girls in my life, but it is my purpose. And now I'm like, damn, okay. I had that eating disorder because now when a girl walks into my office and says, I am struggling, I'm like, let's figure this out. Let's go. Let's do this. Right. And so I love that about myself. I absolutely love that. I connect with these kids these young women on a different level that a lot of people cannot connect with them on. And so I just try to find things about myself that God has given me. And I'm like, dang, he really did love me because he gave me all these things. So I'm like, well, I can love myself too. Um, so I would say affirmations, um, my faith, and then just gratitude, just finding so much gratitude in everything that I see. Right. So, um, the mastermind meeting all these incredible, credible women, I am so grateful. And you know what? It makes me feel good every day that I have a group of women that I can call and be like, things aren't good right now. And you guys would be like, dude, let's figure this out. Like, how are we going to get to that high vibe? How are we going to fix this? And, um, so just like gratitude all of the time, like, Right now, I'm grateful that my shoes like match my shirt that I'm wearing to school later. Like everything I'm grateful for. I love that. Yeah. And so now you are, yeah, God gave you two little girls and a school full of women. So what are you doing um, now? Like, how are you showing up for them? And I know you touched on like girls are coming to you for help and support. Um, yeah. And this is another thing. Do you share your story with the girls so they know that they have someone who, uh, they, they can relate to what they're going through? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So um, we have different opportunities at my school um, to share our stories about, um, well, for example, this coming Friday, I'm actually speaking to our freshmen um, about where I find God in my life. And I always incorporate that, right? There's, there's always a way for me to incorporate my struggles and what I've been through, uh, to these girls because they see me and they're like, Oh my gosh, Miss Casas, she has two kids. She's like an athletic trainer. She works out. She's so perfect. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, no, let's, let me, let me tell you what has gone, gone on. So, um, there's, I share my story, um, with girls who come into my office and are struggling with the same thing. Um, I share my story, um, on some big retreats at our school. Um, I'm sharing my story to the freshmen this, this, um, coming week. Um, and then when I share my story, I usually have a lot of girls that come to me afterwards. Like I, I'm struggling. Um, I need help. And so, I love that piece of my job, you know, and that makes me love myself even more that I actually can share that with them. Mm-hmm. You can be kind of the the spark in their transformation in helping them love themselves. Yeah. I, I also think that over the past few years of just the self-development that I've been working on, I make sure that I start my class every day. Um, every class that I teach is always started with gratitude and one other question that I have for them. And it sometimes it's a silly question. Sometimes it's like a very serious question. Um, one time I made them write a value and then I made them write a value statement after it, but they always have to write three things that they're grateful for. Um, now in, in this day and age, when I have some kids that are remote learning and some kids that are in class with me, um, we type in our, in our chat, you know, on our remote learning and the other kids are able to see it too. And, and something that I really love about it is, um, sometimes they say that they're grateful for their classmates and you can just see the other kids eyes light up when they read that. And I just love that. I love that they're spreading love, um, throughout the classroom. Um, but I try to incorporate self-development things for these girls every day because they come into class and they're like, all right, this is what we're learning today. And I'm like, no, let's start with ourselves first. Let's learn something about ourselves. So I really try to incorporate that for them. Um, so that they can have those practices. Yeah, such a key piece to the day. I love that you take that time. Um, and do you think, like I was thinking earlier today, just about uh, kind of the different time that we're in now, like, thank God when I was growing up, there was no social media, really. I mean, the pressures on women were in magazines, like the front cover of magazines and on TV. And now today it is the filters and Instagram and Facebook and this and that. And um, I just think the pressures on these young girls are even so much more layered than mm-hmm. maybe they were. Yeah. You know, I've been teaching for um, 15 years now, and I've seen the progression of social media and how it's affecting kids. And I also see the effect or the differences between the kids who aren't allowed to have social media and the kids who have free reign of social media, Um, meaning that it's not 
the, the parents don't control it or they don't look at it. They don't check it. There is a huge difference in the confidence in these young women when it comes to how much, how much social media they are ingesting. And I make a joke of it all the time. I'm like, the girls walk into class, they're all on the phone. I'm like, put your Insta face gram away. <laughs> they're like, very funny, Miss Casas. Very funny. I'm like, no, seriously, put your phone away. You guys have five minutes to talk to each other. And they're like, oh, okay. Like talk face to face. I'm like, absolutely. Let's talk face to face. And the pressure, and I keep talking to, um, you know, my, even my sister has a high school kid and I'm talking to her about this. The pressure of what high school kids are seeing is not just at school anymore. And the bullying is not at school in the, anymore. And the stress isn't at school anymore because they come home and it's still all on their cell phones, their iPads, their computers, whatever it is. Um, back in our day, if we got bullied at school, we get to go home and have a safe place. That does not happen anymore. And it is showing to be so stressful and so detrimental to these kids' mental health that it scare it scares me. It really does scare me. And so I try to do whatever comes to my mind to combat it. But, you know, I'm one person that sees these kids for an hour a day and I see a small population of them. Um, it's going to be a very parents who are raising these kids, we are all going to have to be the ones to make these changes. So it's hard, but I just, I feel for these kids because it's nonstop comparison, 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 even my kids. Um, my favorite quote is actually comparison is the thief of joy. And I don't know how many times I say that a day to either my children or my students at school, they'll say something and I'm going to say comparisons and they finish it, the thief of joy with a little eye roll, but then they know <laughs> they get it. Even like my daughter, she likes to compare the juice that I pour into cups. Right. And she'll be like looking at them and I'm like, comparison is, and she's like the thief of joy. And then she takes her juice and walks away. Every, you know, we compare ourselves in every single way, what somebody has, what somebody looks like, um, who likes that person better. It, it's very sad. Mm -hmm. So true. I know. I love that comparison is the thief of joy, but when you go inward again and just love yourself for who you are and what you have to bring to the table, then yeah, hopefully it can stomp some of that down. And I also love the point that you brought up kind of the boundaries thing, because yeah, these kids have, some of them have free range. Um, of social media. And so, yeah, I guess as parents, we do have a say in maybe how much time, what they're consuming. Um, and maybe some of the boundaries are kind of sliding. So I like that you brought that up, that there is an opportunity to work on that. Yeah. Yeah. And also you said you are just around these girls for one hour a day in their life, but my gosh, it takes the, a small moment or one person or one, um, one little tiny thing to just change the trajectory of someone's life. So I think even though 
you're only around them an hour, mm-hmm. that you are around them an hour. So I just think that's such an incredible thing that you're able to give to these women, these young girls. Thank you. I okay. So I'm going to wrap up here. I have a few questions before we say goodbye. Um, my first one is finish this sentence. Happiness is loving yourself. What are three things that you love most about yourself? My humor, (laughs) Um, my purpose, and that I'm a mother. Love it. What message do you think every young girl needs to hear? You are worthy and you are unconditionally loved. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you could go back and tell your 20 something self one thing, what would you tell her? Oh gosh. Um, take chances. And I probably would have told her you need to start working on yourself sooner than you did. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And my last question for you is if someone is listening to this episode and they're currently struggling with an eating disorder, where can they go to find help? So, um, NIDA, which is the, um, national eating disorder awareness, uh, I think it's nita.org. There are um, so many resources on there and they are resources all across um, the world for anybody that needs help. But I also would just encourage somebody that is struggling to tell one person um, because that one person um, can help you get the ball rolling. And it is the hardest freaking thing to do is to tell one person. Um, but I, I encourage anybody who's struggling with anything like that to go tell one person. Mm -hmm. Such good advice because yeah, then it's not just you and somebody's going to keep you accountable for making change to create a beautiful life. Absolutely. Gosh, well, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for having me on here. So many good takeaways. And I just know that you're going to change the life of so many girls out there. Your story is incredible. And I love how you made a change and started to love yourself. And you are where you're at today because of it. Well, thank you. And I, um, I just love your voice. My God, I can't wait for all these podcasts. Like your voice is literally my favorite thing. I was thinking today, it would be a lot easier for me to sit and listen to all these dry um, educational webinars that I have to listen to if it was your voice. I don't know why. I'm just so drawn to your voice. So, (laughs) Oh, thank you. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of All Things Relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.